Um, the reading is from the book of Isaiah, starting at chapter 52 and verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin... He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great And he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Susan. Please do um, keep your Bibles open at uh, Isaiah 53. That would be really helpful. Uh, Let me pray. God, our Father, thank you so much for your word. And we pray now you help us to understand it. Please um, speak to us, we pray. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This is a really, really crucial um, passage in the Bible, um, it's crucial to understanding um, uh, salvation through Christ. It's very deep, it's quite profound, and uh, we really could spend uh, months and months on it, but we're, don't worry, we're, we're going to spend um, just a short period. If you're new um, with us, uh, we've been making our way through um, Isaiah, uh, and um, we've come to this section, 42 to 55, chapters 42 to 55. And one of the things you will read as you come to this section is that we're introduced, introduced to a mysterious figure that's referred to as the servant. You see that in verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. Now, what makes this um, section quite unusual um, is that Isaiah has been taken taking us through and talking about uh, a king, a messiah that will come, somebody who will rescue God's people, um, a great majestic king. So for example, over the the next few weeks as we run up to Christmas, we'll be hearing about Isaiah 9 um, that's familiar to us where it says, "For, for to us a child is born and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All those um, greatness of the king. But in these chapters, we're introduced to this servant uh, figure. And in chapter uh, 53, verse 2, it says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. So what's going on? Well, as we begin to realise is that this is no typical king. Um, This is a servant king who comes to save. This servant is Jesus Christ. And I I say that without any hesitation uh, for what Jesus himself said on the night before he was crucified. In Luke chapter 22... On the occasion of the Last Supper, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says in verse 37, it is written, and he quotes this passage that was written hundreds of years before, Isaiah 53, verse 12, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, What is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Do you want to understand what Jesus is doing on the cross? If you want to understand that, then Isaiah 53 helps us to see it, because that's what Jesus is pointing us to. Three things. The first two quite short, and the last one a little bit longer. The first one, number one, I want us to notice the ordinariness of, of this servant king, the ordinariness of the servant king. Verse 2 again, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. End of verse 3. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. When we look for greatness, when we look for power, we look at the outward appearance, whether it's a physical appearance or whether it's an outward achievement. Jesus had none of these. None of what the world looks at for greatness. He had no beauty or majesty. I think if they had um, sort of mugshots and photographic uh, images in those days, Jesus wouldn't be that blue-eyed, fair-haired Jesus that's so unhelpfully depicted in Western art. You see, from our perspective, Jesus didn't have looks, he didn't have connections, he wasn't from the right part of the town, from the right college. None of the outward credentials for a king. But that's not the kind of king he was going to be. Because we're introduced to the idea that he is a servant king. In the many ways, very, very ordinary. The sort of person you could, you could just walk past on the street Because most of the time, we're actually not looking for this kind of king, are we? A king we're looking for is a kind of flashy, great one. Verse 1 asks, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is a a way of uh, talking about the power of God. So the servant, this man, this ordinary-looking man with no earthly credentials and connections, whom we hold in low esteem, did you notice that? He is the person God is going to use to save the world, to show his power. Who has believed our message? Who? It's a question. And in a way, it expresses just how God's power through his servant can easily be missed. The ordinariness of Jesus can be missed. But this is how God's power um, actually often and and normally operates, mostly through the ordinary uh, and not the spectacular. Yes, God can do the spectacular. He, He has shown us that in Scripture. But often God operates through the lowly things, the ordinary things, the ordinary ways of grace. But do we see it? Who has believed? The arm of the Lord, the power of God, was at work through the lowly, the seemingly unimpressive, a servant. So that's the first point. The ordinariness of the servant king. But secondly, I want us to notice the suffering. The suffering servant king. Look with me at the... The suffering, verse 3, despised and rejected. Verse 4, stricken and afflicted. Verse 5, pierced and crushed. Verse 7, oppressed and afflicted. Verse 8, cut off from the land of the living. And the, the phrase cut off there is to be smashed to pieces. It's very vivid, a violent and painful death. The servant... Jesus Christ suffered enormously, more than we could 
imagine any, beyond anything that we could possibly comprehend. And in a moment, in our last point, I'll tell you, tell you why. But I want us to just pause. And I want to say something perhaps to those people who struggle or are going through some kind of suffering. Perhaps you said or are saying, I I thought God was somehow loving and I'm suffering. So how could he really um, be loving? If If he was, he would do something about my suffering. And I suppose the only, the only right response to this is to look at Jesus. To look at the suffering servant king. Take some time to read the Gospels. And what will you find in the Gospels? You will find that when Jesus was baptised, the heavens opened and a voice came down that said, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. What happened next? He's immediately thrown out into the wilderness, led out there and assaulted by the accusations of the the devil, the evil one. Is God's love compatible with Jesus' suffering? Yes. Jesus wasn't somehow abandoned at that point, despite the temptations and the trials over many days. So we have to ask ourselves, would it be, why would it be any different for those of us who follow Jesus? Jesus, after all, said, didn't he, in Luke 9, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. The Bible is full of examples of people who've suffered greatly, but through God, but, see, but saw God at work in them and through them. And in, some, in many ways, didn't actually see the full fruit of how God was working out. Like Isaiah, for example, he couldn't possibly have known exactly how things were going to work out. We don't see, you see, from God's perspective. So that's the second. Jesus, the second point. Jesus, the suffering servant king. But importantly, I want to ask, finally... We need to ask, why does he suffer? And thirdly, the point is the substitute servant king. This is the main point of chapter 53. In fact, I would argue that it's the the whole point of the, the Bible. Substitution is the point of God's rescue plan. Did you notice as we read through um, the passage, as it was read, the language of substitution is there all over the place. So verse 4, surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Verse 5, by he was pierced for our transgressions, for he was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds... We are healed. Verse 6. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the language, you see, of substitution. He's taking on things that are not his. Now, why is that? Let's go to the end again, to verse 12. The very verse Jesus quotes the night before he was crucified. 
It says he was numbered with the transgressors. That's what Jesus quotes. Now, why, when you're, when you're dying, you are going to think about, aren't you, the most important things, the deepest things, the most profound things. And on that night, Jesus is recalling this verse. He was numbered with the transgressors. Who are the transgressors? Well, a transgressor is someone who is rebellious, isn't it? It turns away. He wants to have nothing to do with God, who, who violates his ways and his, his laws, who turns away from God and lives their own way. And this suffering servant is going to be numbered with them, it says. It doesn't mean Jesus became a transgressor. No, um, look at verse 9. It says he had no violence They'd done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. No, he he was numbered with them, which means he was counted as a transgressor. He was treated as one of them. You see, it's, it's substitution. He was substituted as one. You see, what happened at the cross is that the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, Jesus was treated as a transgressor. Verse 6 puts it so succinctly. We all, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8, for he was cut off from the land of the living. Why was he cut off from the land of the living? The second half of the verse says, for the transgressions of my people, he was punished. Substitution. This is the first part of the most incredible good news of God's salvation for you and for me. The substitutionary death of Jesus. We are transgressors. You and me, we're all transgressors. We deserve death. And instead of us dying, Jesus is substituted in. And he dies instead. So on the one hand, he takes on what we are, what we have. And what do we have? All we have is actually our sin and our rebellion, our transgressions, our iniquity, as it says here. And he was treated as if we should... Be as we should have been treated under judgment, under the death penalty, under God's wrath. But God, in his profound, deep love, found a way to save us, to save you and me, to bring us peace with God. That's what verse 5 is saying. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. You see, when the enormity of this begins to sink in, so there's the substitutionary death of Jesus, when it sinks in that God has gone to such extraordinary lengths for you and for me, the obvious question is to say, why does he do that? Well, why should Jesus you know, leave the splendor and the majesty of heaven where he is with his Father for such a filthy people like you and me? And of course, the answer is simply because he loves us. He loves you and he loves me. 
He did it out of love. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his, own, his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not die but have eternal life. You see, our love um, tends to be aroused by something in the object that we love. You love someone because they have got some quality of personality or looks or a sense of humor. But God's love is so much bigger and more extraordinary in that it has been given to people like you and me who have done nothing to deserve it. And in fact, we deserve the opposite. It is a love poured out on those who are by nature enemies to God. By nature, don't want to have anything to do with God. That's how we normally look at God. And the Bible has a word for this love. It's called grace. It's the unmerited gift of God. Undeserved love. The cross of Christ, the servant, suffering servant king, screams it out. This is how much you are worth to God here this morning. Someone has summed it up like this. We're more wicked than we ever realised but we're more loved than we dared dreamed. But that's not all. There's even more, which is amazing. That's amazing, but to think there's even more. Verse 11. After he has suffered, he will see light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteousness, my righteous servant, will justify many, will justify Many. What does it mean to, be, to justify someone? It means to make right, to make them right, to not just acquit them from the penalty and the consequences of sin, to sort of acquit them of sin, but actually to make them right. That's the sense of peace in which verse 5 says, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. You see, there's a, there's a two parts to this substitutionary. The, there's the, we, we, we get, uh, our sin is, is on Christ, but there's a, a second part to this transaction that goes on, this substitution. His righteousness, his peace, is given to us. It comes to us. He deserved peace. He gets punishment instead, and we get the peace. And this is at the very heart of what the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is all about. Substitutionary. Jesus Christ is treated by God as if he had done everything we had done. So that if you believe in him, you are treated as if you had done everything that he has done. Just think about that. You're treated as if everything that Jesus had done. That's extraordinary, isn't it? That is the gospel. So radical, so different from any other um, religion. You see, because it's a gift. It's given to you by God's suffering servant, Jesus Christ. Jesus comes in weakness and humility as a servant to save sinners, to save transgressors, you and me, serving us by dying on the cross in our place. His salvation is also for the weak. It means it's for you and for me, for people who admit they need God. They know that they're 
uh, mucked up and they've messed up and they're rebellious, that say that I cannot save myself. I admit it. I, I need God. Salvation is a gift to be received, not to be earned. I'm treated as if Jesus deserved to be treated. If you believe in him, the Father will treat you as he deserved to be treated. He'll give you his righteousness. You will be justified. You will have peace beyond your understanding. Now, what does that mean for you as we close? What, well, the question is, do we believe? Do you believe? Have you trusted in this message, in the arm of the Lord, as it begins with in verse 1, in the power of the Lord, in his suffering servant, King Jesus, who substituted his life for yours. It's a choice. There's a choice there, isn't there, for each of us. A choice we all face. A choice that is um, wonderfully captured symbolically by one of the views that you see across London. You probably see on the skyline in central London, the central criminal court, the the Old Bailey. On top of that um, court... There is a 12 feet tall golden figure holding some scales in one hand and a three foot sword in the other hand. She is Justinia, the Lady of Justice. The message is clear, isn't it, at that? Those who are found wanting on the scales of justice will face the sword of judgment. But as you look out across the skyline... There's another, uh, another figure that you see on top of St. Paul's Cathedral, another golden symbol, but this time it's a cross. It proclaims that God's judgment has fallen, and it's fallen on his son, Jesus Christ, for all those who accept him. That's the choice we all face. Have you accepted Jesus Christ? You see, either we take our sin to the cross where the penalty has been paid by the suffering servant, Jesus, or we take it with us to the grave into eternity to pay the penalty ourselves that God's justice rightly demands. You see, Jesus' death needs accepting. Will you accept it? Today, the great substitution has been made for you, for it to take effect and for us to benefit, we have to receive it as a gift from Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, that all those who believe in him should not die, but have eternal life. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you so much for your words. We thank you for the reminder here so powerfully that the suffering servant Jesus, in many ways, a very ordinary from worldly terms 
Father, we see the suffering of Jesus as he dies in our place, as our substitute. Father, we thank you that Jesus has died in our place, that our sin has been dealt with, and that we can receive peace when we trust in you. Please help us today to accept Jesus, whether we've done it already or whether we do it for the first time. We ask, Father, that you would show us the depth of your love, that you should die to rescue us. For we ask in his name. Amen.